The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 15, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Your Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak of BleedingGreenNation.com, of course. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Man, every day is a good day to be alive. I will say... Uh, it is very nice to be back in the saddle. I was off this weekend. I was uh, I was visiting. I was up in northern Michigan. I had no cable or whatever, so I barely got to see anything. So actually, really funny. There was a there's a listener at a bunch of underscores Nick 100, and he just asked me yesterday. He goes at Benjamin Solak dropped the podcast, and he sends me a picture of a little like plush chick, like a little baby chicken holding a butter knife. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm going to send it to you right now because you can see it. But anyway, uh, you know, we were a little uh, understaffed this weekend, but it's good to be back. I had that weird experience, man. The first time I saw the Eagles game was through the All-22. You know what I mean? I've not seen the broadcast Mm. film for that game at all. Oh, wow. That's wild. Yeah. So, you, yeah, you were on the move and uh, a lot of things happen. The Eagles pick up a win while you're on the move, 20 to 16 over the Colts, of course. What we're going to be doing today on this show is we're going to be breaking down the all 22. So that's perfect that you got to see that. And first, for, you know, house cleaning, uh, big news. Alshon Jeffrey has been cleared for contact. Still not sure if he is going to be able to participate in the game against the Tennessee Titans in week four action, but very, very positive sign that he is cleared for contact. This offense needs some production from their outside wide receivers, which to this point have been Kamar Aiken. Josh Perkins, Shelton Gibson, guys of that nature. So big boost for the offense, having him come back, if he does come back this week. But even then, it's just encouraging to see that he is getting back to 
full health, if not 100%. Ben, your thoughts on the return of Alshon and its impact on this Philadelphia Eagles offense? Yeah, so we uh, I said this to you when I was going through the All-22 film, which was simply you were seeing so many uh, three-by-one trade trips set from Philadelphia's offense, right? That backside receiver last year was very often Zach Ertz, right? And then on the front side, you would see like Alshon Aguilar and like Burton or Alshon Aguilar and Torrey Alshon Aguilar, Mac, whatever. This year, uh, in the Colts game with the deficiencies currently at wide receiver, uh, you were seeing Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz together on that three receiver side. And then it would be like a Nelson Aguilar or whatever, what have you. And very often the backside receiver on three by one sets, Mike, would be like Kamar Aiken or Jordan Matthews. All right. Those three by one sets were giving the Colts trouble now. When you have yeah. to worry as a defense about the one on one matchup on the backside, which with most teams you do, like Alshon Jeffrey, even when he's going to be against elite corners, that's still something you have to have your head around because it's Alshon. He's a dangerous downfield player. He's a great contested catch guy. So he's always a threat even when he's covered. When Alshon gets introduced to the backside, Mike, it opens up the offense in a big, big way. Like these two tight end sets with to the three receiver side are already causing problems yeah already teams aren't exactly sure how to handle Ertz and Goddard both coming up the same seam at the same time understandably so when you can no longer rotate your shell and try to overload that field side because you have to worry about leaving one-on-one man everywhere he goes coverage on Alshon Jeffrey it's a rock and a hard place so I think his return is very very important and very very interesting to see if we see more of, all right, now it'll be a tight end isolated backside and Earth and, and, and uh, Jeffrey takes one of those front side spots, or if they continue to use these two tight ends to the front side looks and then just tag Alshon backside, right? And let him run, let him run five slants a game and pick up free yardage, let him run down the field, let him tire out the opposing corner, right? And, and every so often when you know you have cover one, throw the ball up for him, go get yourself a chunk play. Yeah. That's a good situation to be in. Yeah, and it's not even just the impact of, because we looked at this last year and we found that, you know, teams aren't doubling Alshon, teams aren't dedicating a safety over top every play for Alshon. But like you said, with those three wide receiver sets, you get that cloud coverage, you roll that coverage toward that strong side. You can't do that as much. You still have to be cognizant of the fact that there is a legitimate threat on the backside that can take you deep like Alshon can and come away with those big catches like we saw from Alshon, especially in the playoff run where he had more deep passing receiving yards than any other receiver in the playoffs. So we can get downfield a little bit more. The splash plays have been lacking from this offense. Alshon is going to get some opportunities to change that when he gets back. Okay, Ben, I think we are good on that. Let's go on to the All-22 film review of the Eagles and Colts from Week 3. Again, the Eagles get the win 16, or excuse me, 20-16 to against the Colts. And Ben, I think the first thing that we need to talk about, and this ties in with the Carson Wentz of it all, which we'll be talking about throughout this, of course, uh, but the first drive, 12 plays, 79 yards, ends with a red zone touchdown pass from Wentz to Goddard. And before we talk about that play, let's talk about the lead up and the strategy that the Eagles used because I thought the scripted stuff uh, early on was masterful. They had, for all 12 plays, 13 personnel with Ertz, Goddard, and Perkins. And remember what I said last week about forcing teams into base, three linebacker sets with Goddard on the field because he and Ertz can play in line, they can split out. And that's what the Colts countered with. You get Darius Leonard, Anthony Walker, 
and Zaire Franklin on the field all at once. And they just picked them apart, Ben. And not only did they pick them apart, but they did it with tempo to keep Carson from thinking too much. And they got the Colts defense on their heels. They were vanilla in their coverage. They had issues with their personnel. Uh, like the one play where Zaire Alexander, or excuse me, Zaire Franklin thought he was being subbed out and the Colts played with 10 men and it was free money for Josh Perkins along the sideline there because he didn't have anyone covering him. Then I think maybe, you know, he was being told to go pick up Perkins, but he just ran like slap off the field. So uh, next play, Zaire Franklin decides, oh, I am in the game. And gets in there. And who's he lined up mm, against? Interesting. Yeah, Zach Ertz. And who do they go after? Oh, he's lost in coverage again. Go after him. Boom. Another easy completion for a healthy game. It's exactly what I talked about last week. When I saw Zaire Franklin on the field, I said, this guy is who I want to go after. And when I saw Goddard on the field to force base personnel as a response, I said, do that. Get that matchup problem going. And then they get down in the red zone. And I put this up, this play up on bleedinggreennation.com. They run a spot concept. And here's how that went down. So doubles left with Aguilar outside, Ertz inside, shotgun with Clement to the right, Goddard hand in the dirt on the right side with Josh Perkins on a number split outside of him. So that number split, just to explain that, means he's lined up on the actual numbers on the field. So a reduced split there. Perkins runs a short inside curl. Clement comes underneath that with a flat route. So you've got two guys holding underneath coverage. Then you've got Goddard coming up the scene on what the Eagles call a copper route. So corner post. Normally with a spot concept, it's a corner route, but this is a wrinkle that the Eagles used for a touchdown against the Bears in week 12 of last year. So they go back to the well again, this time with Goddard on the copper route and the Colts just, they bust, they they lose, they lose coverage on them. That combination of horizontal and vertical stretches to the same side fooled the Colts. It was easy six. Ben, again, masterful script. Excellent ex- execution to start the game. How'd you feel about that early game plan for the Eagles? Because it was what me and you have been screaming about since, since you know, before the season. It was a very necessary. It was very welcome. It was exactly what it was that we wanted to see. And it does, in my opinion, give me a good answer in terms of last week when I said Dallas Goddard not being in the game plan rings a little false to me because you can just plug and play him to do Zach Ertz things. Well, as it turns out, the Eagles have loftier expectations for Goddard because they're playing a man straight, in-line, traditional tight end. And he's good. (laughs) I mean, so I'll put it to you this way. I think it was very easy watching Goddard in South Dakota State. And I feel like everybody did this when he was there at South Dakota State to say, okay, he's blocking well, but also he's much bigger than all these other FCS chumps. You know, he's a powerful dude, and it's not how he's going to be used at the NFL level because he's such a great receiver. The Eagles, you know, you said they used hurry up to keep Carson loose, which is very likely an added bonus. In my opinion, you use hurry up because you can get seven good blockers in the box and then go empty back to back when you have Goddard and then Ertz on the field. Oh, it's got more than one positive impact for sure, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. And that is bananas right <laughs> like we're we as as analysts and even the coaches they love going uh, hurry up with Ertz on the field because you can get Ertz in there and he can block for you like that's how we say this this isn't like getting Ertz in there and blocking for you Goddard's moving people three plays like three plays on the opening drive outside zone uh it was um uh first and 10 right when they got uh to the Indianapolis side of the field yeah. and then the next for 11 yard gain Goddard's blocking front side. Uh, the very next play, again, first and 10, outside zone. Again, they're running right off Goddard's butt. And then the play before the touchdown, Mike, 
is they're running again to Goddard's side and they're running outside. And I believe it was a pin pull luck on that final yeah. play, the one right before the touchdown. And Goddard's climbing to the second level and he's locating hands and he's creating initial displacement. Mike, I mean, like, it's all good. Like, it's, it is high quality tight end blocking as far as NFL standard goes very, very early in a young man's career. So it explains why Goddard wasn't out on the field against Tampa and why he wasn't game planned is because he's not just doing Ertz things. He's not just providing another slot flex option. No, he's really going to give you inline style of stuff. And to come out with that, which I can guarantee you, Indianapolis did not expect. Indianapolis did not think that, like, you know, none of us were like, oh, the Eagles didn't use Goddard because they really, you know, when, when he's in the field, they really want to be able to run the football off his back. Like, nobody was thinking this. So to open up with that was quite the shell shock. And as a result, anytime Goddard was on the field, the Colts remained in cover two for almost the entire game. And so whenever Goddard was just sitting on the line and the Colts were not rotating an extra man into the box, Michael, the running game was ripping explosive plays all game long. Yeah. If you're going to play cover two, if that's what you think you have to do to protect the seams against Goddard and Ertz, okay, you're light in the box. You're going to be light in the box the whole game. <laughs> I just watched, uh, as you were talking, I watched those blocking reps from Goddard and I 100% Agree. Moving guys. Like the, the second, second one. The oh. second outside zone rep where he takes, I'm pretty sure Jabal Sheard, who is yeah. like not a pushover by any, like he had Al-Kadeen Muhammad in, in assignments a lot in the second half. And yeah. he was just like, he and Al-Kadeen were just going at it and he was walling Al-Kadeen off pretty easily. Jabal Sheard is like a grown human being. And he, there was a rep where he took Jabal Sheard just like six yards back or something. It was awesome. I, I really liked uh, what he put on tape for him. As a blocker, I mean, he's up there. He's getting up to Malik Hooker on another one. Like, this guy was all over the place as a blocker. I mean, I know he spent 209 snaps as an inline tight end for, for South Dakota State, but I don't think, like you said, the Colts didn't expect it. I don't think we expected it even as much as we were pining for Goddard to be on the field. And what you saw because of this, the success of that first drive, you saw the effects of it manifest itself in the subsequent drives where the Colts had tried base for a couple more plays. They bring in Najee Good uh, instead of Zaire Franklin. Uh, eh, God bless. Not going to work. So then they ultimately ended up in nickel and played nickel for the majority of the game. The plus side to that was the boost for the run game. 18 times, the Eagles used two and three tight end sets running the ball. They totaled, and this is against nickel, 115 yards for 6.38 and a 56% success rate. That's balling. You can you can run that all day. Now, here's a question. Smallwood, Wendell Smallwood. I said that we owed him an apology. You disagree. We definitely have different thoughts on this. 10 carries, 56 yes. yards, one touchdown, an 80% success rate on runs. Added a 34-yard catch. Yeah, he was wide open. I thought an adequate player played well, finished well, got extra yards that were key in a couple of spots. You disagree. The floor is yours, Ben. Show me... Anything he did that, like, Kenyon Barner wasn't doing in 2016. That's my point. You know what I mean? Picking up four like, or five yards after contact on a couple of those where he was pretty much stuffed. I think that that those runs are the ones that were most impressive to me. Barner doesn't do that for me. But, but go ahead. Right. I can think of one run late where he kind of, like, pinballed around and picked up extra yards that you did not anticipate him getting. Which, cool. Like, that's <laughs> awesome. But at the end of the day, it, what it is with, with Wendell is just... 
what he, we were supposed to bank on with Smallwood coming out of West Virginia was explosiveness getting into the second level. And for as long as he continues to struggle in that regard, as long as he continues to just be a guy who mostly, for the most part, gets the space that's given and doesn't create his own space. Right. Like, again, pressing the line of scrimmage, this has been a problem of his for three years now. Pressing the line of scrimmage, he does not have a great sense of timing and feel for how blocks develop. There's a... Uh, there's an outside zone rep that sticks out in my mind. It was, let's find it in my notes. Uh, it was a 358 left in the second quarter. Okay. And Smallwood is just, he, he's getting the outside zone handoff and it's from shotgun. So he's obviously running parallel to the line of scrimmage at first, but he doesn't work with any urgency north uh, coming into the line of scrimmage. And so w- when the blocks develop very quickly, he's got to stop his weight and get up field once he sees right. daylight. But because he hasn't pressed the line of scrimmage, because he hasn't shortened that space and he lacks anticipation, by the time he gets to daylight, it's closed, right? And this is this is a, a recurring theme with Smallwood. Like you said, like picking up yardage where on, on plays on which there wasn't that much space. You know, obviously we'd have to look at them together and know which plays one another are talking about. But to me, Smallwood often screws himself in terms of how much space he has because he doesn't get there quickly enough and he doesn't anticipate second level movers, the linebackers and how they're going to get angles on, on offensive linemen. That's been my umbrage with him for a while. Now, if you were a better space player, right, if you were more explosive in the pass catching, if you're regularly, you know, winning that seam route off out of the backfield and so on and so forth we'd have a different conversation because he'd be a space guy but to me he's not that either you know what i mean so it's a it's a it's a um a pedestrian roster bubble player who provided good reps behind a killer offensive line that again was going against light boxes for the majority of the game yeah and i think we're kind of speaking the same language because the way you say a pedestrian that's my you know adequate that's that that played well uh that that played solid like kind of the same and I do see what you're talking about on that outside zone rep and what bothers me about that that rep too, just from an athletic standpoint, is you watch his gear down and it's pap, 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 and then there's oh, yeah. no burst out of it. There's like, there's no juice out of there. So I see what you mean about being able to get to the second level, get past the second level, defeat angles and and cut the, the way you need to cut to be able to expose those holes that are there. So that's one I agree that he left some meat on the bone. I'm with you there. Now, with Wendell Smallwood out of the way, uh, we've been neglecting our boy Carson Wentz a little too much. Obviously, that's the hot topic right now. Felt he was rusty coming out. Uh, obviously, the first drive, he was excellent, dealing, up-tempo, doing his thing, whatnot. As things settled into the game, as the Colts presented more soft-shell coverages and, and kind of got themselves working back into it, we saw some missed throws. And a couple of those that, that I noted, there was third and 13 in the first quarter. Aguilar had worked open. But I thought Wentz had dropped his eyes a little early, and uh, Kimoko Torre ended up grabbing him up for a sack. On the next drive, second quarter, in the beginning of the second quarter, third and two, he's got a completion there all the way. They run this mesh sit concept that we talk about a lot, So, and I know we reference it a lot, and it's a staple, but just to break that down again, mesh is two shallow crossers, so inter- intersecting routes, and then a sit route or a snag route that comes over top of those to the middle and he wants to sit in between those middle linebackers, those hook zones, you know, at depth at like five to seven yards. On this one, instead of running those shallow crosses, I like what they did. So with Aguilar and Aiken, they drive their initial route like they're going to do those shallow crossers, but they snap out of it and then Aiken pops out on an out route. So, you you know, you give a look. That was pretty. I liked that a lot. Yeah, you throw that wrinkle in there and then you get the wheel routes with, with Perkins and Clement. Wentz had Aiken at the sticks the entire way. Not only when he sat, but also when he went out to that out route. Not only that, Clement is coming out of the backfield on a wheel. 
Clement's looking at what's in front of him, and he immediately snaps his head back. And he's like, yo, Wentz, right here, brother. Like, I got an easy conversion right here. Wentz passes him up. He breaks the pocket to his right. He waits too long, and then he compounds the mistake because he still has Aiken moving to his right open, ready to convert that third and two. Take the simple throw is what I would suggest there. Instead, he tries to force a deep throw to Clement, who's now streaking upfield. There's good coverage, and it's an incomplete pass. So those are the couple of plays that I saw where Wentz showed some of the mental processing rust that he's obviously going to get over, but he's still going to have to work back into as we go. Ben, what did you think of his? Because overall, I thought it was a decent performance. There was obvious rust. There's obvious things he did well and did poorly. I think he'll get better. What did you think of his performance? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best Carson we'd seen, but I don't think anybody was expecting the best Carson we'd ever seen. Right. And I'll, I'll, I'll frame it to you this way. And, you know, obviously, it's a lot easier to know how to frame it after it happens. But the young player returning from injury known and heralded and highlighted for his incredible extensions of plays and explosive plays and unbelievable escapes, who was not able to play in the franchise's first ever Super Bowl win, was looking to do a little too much. Yeah. Like, oh, like, surprise, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like, you know, like, obviously, it's, it's a lot easier in hindsight to kind of see how the pieces came together. But you're very right to say Carson simply just did not want to take the first read, the quick read, the short throw. He had no interest in it, right? He did, he did it, you know, when he needed to. They kept the sticks moving. He was able to dump it off, especially later in the game on that last drive. He was doing very well to get the ball into the shorts, into the flats, and just let his players pick up space. And and real quick, just a note on that. That's that's what we talked about with the Colts defense. You have to take that short stuff. They'll force you into taking that short stuff. So you have to take it when it's there. That's what they did against the Washington Redskins. The Redskins tried to pass deep all day. Nothing was there because that shot sell zone. So that's why that's super important in this matchup. And Wentz, you know, could have been more cognizant of that. Yeah. And so we are at the point where, you know, you got the Vikings coming around in two weeks. The Vikings just lost one to the Bills, which like, what? Why? <laughs> uh, the Vikings... You know, uh, they had the game against the Packers where uh, the Packers kind of had uh, a lucky break to get back into the game, I believe it was. But they were, they were you know, hanging there with the Packers. And then they had the Niners, a team that they beat uh, pretty handily. But from what we saw of the Jimmy Garoppolo Niners after that game, obviously no more Jimmy G, which is a shame. Uh, they were maybe a little bit more gassed up coming into the season than they should have been. That So that being said... How good are the Vikings? I don't really know. You know, I'm unsure. So we know that they have a good defense. They had it from last year. They haven't lost too much personnel. That's a big, big, big test for Carson. We obviously have the Titans coming up this week. You'd really like to see Carson just settle more into the offense. I think obviously a return to regular personnel will help with that. Yeah. Uh, You know, Alshon potentially coming back here for the Titans game. And I really think even if he's on a snap count, on a pitch count, I think that they should really try to get Alshon in for at least a bit, just that he's not having his first action against Xavier Rhodes. You know what I mean? Like, that just sounds like it would suck. (laughs) So looking forward, you expect to see Carson level out. You know, this is not a team that will need to be fighting for the playoffs, and he'll feel like he has to, you know, do extra. This is not a team that needs, uh, you know, Carson to put them on his back. It's not a team fighting for the division or whatever. They should be pretty good in that regard. So... You'd like to just see him settle back in. It'll probably take a couple weeks. Everything is really quite fine. You know, you've received the questions. I'm sure you have as well. 
Uh, you know, is there reason to be concerned about the offense? Is there reason to be concerned about the offensive line? Eagles have given up a lot of pressure. As of right now, no. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. team is like piecing together their offensive roster week in and week out. The game plan from game one to game two to game three has looked wildly different in each game. You know, it's uh it's uh the Eagles aren't having, you know, a fast, hot start to the season, but they don't really need one, so it's okay. Yeah, absolutely agree. So Carson Wentz will work himself back, and as we get pieces back to this offense with Jay Ajayi because he was out, uh, Alshon Jeffrey coming back, uh, everything's going to be fine with them as we move along. We escaped the three-game stretch with the reintroduction of Wentz and two games of Foles, two and one. Can't complain about that so far. Coming up against the Titans defense, that is, uh, that's tough that I'm going to be digging into, uh, even more tonight as we, uh, look to start previewing things on our, on our next shows and, and move on to Tennessee. Uh, speaking of defense, the Eagles defense, they played a lot of nickel. They played a lot of my boy, Sidney Jones. And I don't know if you saw my, yours, singular, singular. <laughs> yeah, my Sidney Jones. Excuse yes, you. that's correct. I want to talk about it right away. The two plays in the red zone towards the end of the game, Sidney Jones is amazing. The one to Ebron where he he, he darted back from his zone and like before the snap, uh, Jalen Mills was looking over at Malcolm Jenkins like, yo, trips this side. Like, like, hey, hey, we got a little bit of an issue. Jenkins gets caught up with uh, T.Y. Hilton streaking across the field. Don't blame him there. If you're playing the Colts offense, then, you know, that's the guy you really want to target. But Sidney Jones showing the mental processing, the quickness, the makeup speed, and then the location and timing with his hands as Ebron runs by him. Sidney darts back, breaks that up. The next play, holy bananas, dude. They throw that that bubble screen. <laughs> Ryan Grant tries to, to chop block, cut block on Sidney. Sydney does some Wolverine nonsense like he's Brian Dawkins coming out of the tunnel, almost does like almost does like a handstand, and then tackles both Denzel Good and gets his hands on uh, Zach Pascal and holds him up enough to where Mills can come up and make a tackle. He saved a touchdown. If he doesn't get his hands on both of them at that point, Good is we know how Mills is when it comes to taking on contact. And I thought Mills had a good game outside of the two pass interference calls. I thought Mills played real well, but we know how he likes to take on uh, 300 pound blockers coming his way. It's not super aggressive. That was a touchdown. I didn't see the broadcast camera angle. That first PI against TY down the field looked like some nonsense. I didn't look at it from broadcast. Ball was underthrown. The ball was underthrown, and I thought Jalen did a good job of going to get it. He put his arm around, and they flagged him for it. I thought it was a little ticky tack. I thought it was really good coverage too. And people are, you know, if people don't like Jalen Mills, they're going to take him to the woodshed for it anyways. Uh, outside of that, outside of that, he acquitted himself yeah. real well. M- made a big play on Ebron in the uh, in the red zone, and otherwise had real good coverage on that seven route on Ebron, showing fantastic placement to break that up. Either way, listen, I mean, you said Cindy saved a touchdown on that uh, bubble screen. He better have because Ebron in the red zone. He really gave up a touchdown to Ebron in the red zone. Luck missed the throw yeah. late in the third quarter. Uh, Colts had that little trip set. They had Ebron as the point man. And so Sydney, uh, there was miscommunication. Sydney didn't understand who he was supposed to carry in space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the throw that I'm talking about. That's what I was saying. Cause all like, right. You saw it before the snap. Watch Mills. Watch Mills is going to Jenkins. Like, hey, hey, hey. Like, I think he's trying to signal him over there. So I'm not sure if that's on Sydney not understanding who he's supposed to carry or if Jenkins was supposed to be a little bit more over that way. Either way. If the, the mental processing screwed things up pre-snap for Sydney, he doggone sure made up for it and uh, ended up making a play. But like you said, the throw was a little bit behind, but he, used to, he still was able to uh, make a play on it. No, yeah, I got you. I see Mills motioning over to Jenkins, but also 
Sydney's the point man against a three man bunch. He's got to hit Ebron. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like oh, he yeah, has yeah, yeah. to stop the vertical release of that route. But regardless, no, it was a good play. It was a good game for Sydney. Good game for Jalen. Great game again for Rodney McLeod, who we yeah. need to find out what is happening with Rodney because Rodney is playing really freaking well. And yeah. I don't want to see him lose some excellent momentum coming into the season. And the red zone defense once again stood up for the Eagles. Not only that, a third third downs too, and McLeod was a big part of that in the uh, in the pass defense. They were two for twelve on third down. The Colts were, and then one for two on fourth down conversions. That's a total of three for fourteen on money downs. This this team again at home. Only allowing 16 points after after stoning the uh, the Atlanta Falcons in the red zone, they're tied for third in the NFL for red zone trips converted into touchdowns. They're at 33. percent That is excellent. And, and look, they're going up against another team next week, like the Titans, who are struggling in the red zone. They're 30th in converting those opportunities. So this is another situation where don't panic if the Titans just happen to move the ball down the field. I'm not necessarily sure they will. Their offense is a bit of a mess right now, but. In the red zone, man. This defense just buckles up and they go to work. And it's amazing, dude. The spots that they get themselves out of. Because they got put in some turnovers and, or some situations due to some turnovers and some sloppy play by the offense. And I can't say enough about how they uh, how they stood up there. One of the things I think is the most unappreciated aspects of this, uh, this defensive front, this front four. We'll talk about them for a second. The Colts tried to execute so many plays where they left a defensive end unblocked. And it did not just work. never worked. <laughs> they tried to wham and trap. They tried to run read option style of looks and whatever. They tried to use jet motion to hold the end man in line of scrimmage. And they were like, hey, we've seen this before. Right. Come flying down the field. And so a, uh, here's like a... Uh, some defensive coordinators and some defensive line coaches look to find a way to uh, modulate, kind of alternate, and, and control the intensity with which their rushers rush. Because if all four of your rushers tee off all at the same time, all trying to get to the quarterback, well, very often, you know, all of them throw moves, and all of a sudden, nobody's rushing from, like, the B gap. Right. And the quarterback can just climb up into the B gap and escape. And so no matter what pressure you generated, you're not getting a sack because there's no integrity in the rush lanes, right? You want to keep integrity in the rush lanes. That's a common idea. Not a common idea. That's an idea that you will find among defensive coordinators and defensive line coaches. Jim Schwartz does not prescribe to this theory, Mike. <laughs> and so as a result, there will be rushes. And you see him against the Colts. You see him every week where – Chris Long is flying up the B gap and Michael Bennett is going 10 yards behind the pocket in this, you know, like going around the edge. And Fletcher Cox is three gaps over from where he should be, right? Like everybody's just going bananas. It's total chaos. And that can, you know, that can lead to those sacks where, you know, the quarterback's got to step up and he's got to step up for the sacks. There's one pressure and then there's somebody else there and it's a big hit, whatever. Like those, those good plays happen, but also it'll lead to plays where there's a very easy escape route for the quarterback. But because those defensive ends specifically are allowed to tee off, when they get those wham looks, they are not slow playing anything. They've already been two yards up. They've already taken two hard steps because they are constantly flying. Run or pass, they are going upfield, right? It's just tee off and go. Yeah. Like that's the character of the wide nine. That's the spirit of it, more so than the alignment, more so than where the technique is. So as a result, you get those plays where – Everything front side is blocked beautifully. And on the chalkboard, it's okay. That defensive end can't catch our running back. That doesn't happen. Derek Barnett makes the tackle for a one-yard gain. Brandon Graham makes the tackle for a two-yard gain, right? Barnett is racking up TFLs this year. Yeah. And it's because teams try to not block him. <laughs> 
but Barnett is so quick off the snap. Barnett is the best snap anticipator likely on the Eagles defensive line. Yeah. Right. And so as a result, he gets to where he needs to be just a little bit faster. He's able to slow down the play. Sometimes he gets the TFL. Sometimes he, you know, he melts off, but the play is already screwed. It's very difficult to leave Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett, let alone Chris Long and Michael Bennett unblocked. So two things that I want to hit on the first one uh, before we look at the overall picture, but obviously Derek Barnett gets himself a sack, not a spin sack. So Ben doesn't have to buy the jersey, but a huge sack that wins the game for the Philadelphia Eagles. He beats uh, backup tackle LaRaven Clark. And even before that, he had a uh, he had a very big play. I believe it was in the third quarter and the, uh, on first down, he anticipates the snap. He gets the key. He gets the jump off and you can slow it down and pause it and you can see that barnett is oh yeah you know what i'm talking about like he's hitting his full first step before anybody else gets off the line and clark is just dust and uh ends up getting a hold there and knocks him out of the red zone they have to settle for a field goal listen if like we've been talking about this home away split maybe schwartz and and roseman drafted barnett simply because they were like listen (laughs) The quietness, like, you know, the, the, the limited snap counts when we're at home will just make this split 10 times worse because Barnett at home is undoubtedly a more effective rusher because oh. it's easier for him to key on the snap count. Yeah. 100%. That's, that's where he, oh, dude, it's yeah, nuts. That's where he breads his butter. I mean, we saw it in college too, and, and, it, and it paid off for him here in the third quarter. And look, with Barnett. Did you just say breads his butter? That's where he butters his bread. That's where he breads his butter. You know what I'm saying. Attaboy. Whatever you got to do to get Sieve. that thing. <laughs> Sieve. But yeah, uh, Barnett, uh, obviously, you're going to get some of these frustrating offsides calls with him. You had him in the same in college. He was the most penalized defensive player in the NCAA coming out into the NFL because of those offsides calls. If he can get home like that in clutch situations in the second half where he's keyed into the cadence, then yeah, absolutely, he's going to be an absolute terror at home. You want to see him do it against a better tackle. You want to see him do it in away games. Those those have yet to be seen. We still have those questions out there. But I thought it was a great game for him. Obviously comes away with the sack that, that pretty much closes the game out for the Eagles. And you talk about this pass rush as a whole. Some people are saying that it's just, it's not what it was. It absolutely is. And I want you to look at the slate of quarterbacks that we've gone against and how quick they've gotten the ball out. Week one, Matt Ryan, 2.4 seconds time to throw. They got 39% pressure. It was the most Matt Ryan's been under pressure this year. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 2.21. We talked about it a lot. Lightning fast release, 37% pressure when he's getting it out in 2.21 seconds. That's absurd. Andrew Luck. 2.34, 42% 2.34, 42% pressure rate. This defense is bumping. So everybody, yeah, everybody, everybody is not only underneath average, they're like significantly. Yeah. Obviously like 0. 0.16, 0. 0.2 seconds doesn't feel significant, but when it comes to time of release, the spread is small enough that it is important. Yeah. Absolutely. And you saw Carson Wentz hold on to the ball a little bit long at times. I think he was something around 2.6 plus and he took some sacks because of it. So you see what happens. Those sacks come when you when you force them to hold on to the ball. Overall, I like the defensive game plan. I thought they were getting McLeod a little bit down there uh, more. Tighter coverage on the outside, I felt, was uh, was helpful for the defense. They knew this offense wasn't going to stretch them vertically, number one, uh, because 
Andrew Luck had to come out for a Hail Mary. They had to bring in Jacoby Brissett to throw it because he just doesn't have that kind of Bless. juice in his arm right now. So that that's part of it, too. We would like to see that continue with the defense. Uh, I thought uh, a lot of guys played well this game. The pass rush is bumping. It's not going anywhere. Brandon Graham's working himself back to 100% health. Eventually, we may get Timmy Jernigan back. Who knows when that's going to be? But uh, Derek Barnett is still learning and developing. We'll see what his development likes looks like throughout the season. But uh, overall, really good performance by the defense. Ben, uh, do you have any uh, extra thoughts on that? And actually, real quick, Ben, before before we go to that, there was there was a play, and this kind of shows you what a, a dominant pass rush can do to an offense. What happens was the, the, the Colts are in shotgun, right? They've got Jordan Wilkins to the right. They've got tight end Eric Ebron on the left. So he's making, you know, Barnett, his, he's limiting what he can do in his arc, right? So Ebron in and then chipping Barnett, that's one receiver you're not getting out to in, out into his route right away. You've got Fletcher Cox next to him. He's going to get the slide. That's two blockers dedicated to him. You've got on the other side, on the outside, you've got Chris Long. He's going to get a chip from Jordan Wilkins. So he can't get into his route and he gets kind of caught up in the trash. And then inside of that, you've got Michael Bennett one-on-one with Matt Slauson and guess who wins that rep and gets a pass breakup before it can get out of Luck's hands? Michael Bennett does. That's what this defensive line does. So just because they don't get the sack, look at the resources that offenses are pouring into this defensive line. Ebron can't get out. Wilkins can't get out. You can't get those three-man route combinations. You can't do the stuff that you want to do on third and long because you have to worry about giving your quarterback 2.4 seconds to throw the ball. And he still gets pressured. He still gets his arm hit. They still cause an incompletion. That's what this defense does. Ben, uh, sorry, man. Sorry to cut you off. I just had to uh, I had to put that out there. But uh, I know you had some thoughts. No, it's fine. We're enemies. It's all good. <laughs> when teams have to hit those two-man route concepts... <laughs> which lets the Eagles play with basically three secondary players and eight yeah. guys who could either be in the box or rush. Stop. Listen, yeah. Mike, there was a play where I, there may have been a miscommunication. I think Schwartz may have actually sent eight. I put it like, like, no spy, yeah. no, and pull off if the, the halfback stays in. No, no, no. I'm pretty sure he sent eight. And, and as a result, like, listen – Somebody was wide open in the end zone. It was the Mills pass breakup, right? Oh, yeah. Somebody, I think it was Doyle releasing to the corner. Nobody was near him, but it was fine because Schwartz sent like seven or something. You know what I mean? And 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 if you know that teams are going to be keeping in linebackers and halfbacks to block, screw it. Do it. Yeah. Who cares? This is pressure's the name of the game. So, no, I hear you in a big way. Uh, we didn't talk too much about the linebackers. Camus Grugier Hill is the clear linebacker three and deservedly so. Nate Gary, I don't think, took a defensive snap. God bless. Uh, Brad, I said he had some rust against the Bucks. Looked sharper for sure out there. You know what I mean? The team was, a, uh, there was, this, like, you know, it was an underperformance against Tampa. I think that they, they took things a step up as a whole. Obviously, a sloppy game. Execution standpoint, a lot of rain. You know, Carson making some mistakes. It's whatever. You you slid out there with a win. It's fine to just put that one away and look towards the Titans. I mean, that Jordan Hicks near interception. Mm. Oh, man. I thought Hicks had another one of his, like, famous, you know, highlight reel pick sixes. I really enjoyed watching that play. Hicks and Bradham playing back <laughs> together again. Very, very quick in the middle of the field, Mike. Very, very smart, very instinctive players. There's a lot to like all three levels of the Eagles defense. You, you know, like... 
Gun to your head. What's the better unit, Eagles defense or Eagles offense? I, I was just, I was thinking you were going to say gun to the head uh, about which better two linebackers put together and make it make a better duo than Hicks and Bradham when they're playing at the level that they played against the Colts and and uh, Bradham is is getting better as as we go. Better unit, offense or defense? Defense obviously right now is saving the day. If you had everybody back healthy, oh man, I'm gonna who? I'm gonna hum and uh, I'm, I'm going to say the offense. I'll say the offense just because the secondary can be a little bit up and down on the outside, but I think we're getting better there. That's freaking tough, man. That's a good situation to be in. After, after the first three games, the answer to me is clearly defense. They've been pulling the team. Uh, if you ask the question after the playoffs, though, after the, the performance in, against Minnesota and the performance against New England, offense would be the easy choice and you got all the think pieces in the summer about the offense and all the how it's revolutionizing this and how it's changing that and Doug Peterson and Frank Reich and John DeFlippa the Eagles defense can save their hide in games where the offense does not hold things together right and like if you look across competitors right now you got the Rams who have been killing it but among the top, other top teams, the Chiefs defense can't save that offense when things are bad. The Jags offense can't save that defense when things are bad. Pat's yep. defense can't save things when the offense is bad. Minnesota offense can't save things when the defense is bad, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. Like, like the balance offensive and defensive here in Philadelphia. Obviously, we, we're worried about the home away splits, yeah. but that balance is really, really impressive. That's a, that's a great point. Ben, I think, uh, I think we did it. I think we uh, smashed this all 22 film session. Thank you so much for listening, gentle listener. Ben, you want to say goodbye to the gentle listeners and let them know what we have coming up next. Right, so this is dropping Wednesday. And then yeah, Titans offense against the Eagles defense is dropping on Thursday. I am so excited to do no work for that podcast whatsoever because Mike's baby is the Titans offense. He find, he just, he's been covering it for literally as long as I can remember. He knows so many things about Derrick Henry. Ask him anything you want about Derrick Henry. And so I'm going to be chilling. I'm going to do, I'm going to do the, the hosting thing. I'll be like, here's a question. And Michael will be like, here's knowledge. It'll be great. Uh, but either way, thank you so much as always for listening to the Kisten Solak show, the Vox media featured on a freaking, uh, slide at a presentation. I don't know. <laughs> Kissed and Solak show. We do thank you so much for stopping by. As always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K. He's been Michael Kissed on Twitter at Michael Kissed NFL. That's K I S T. We are back to you to finish up the week. Uh, Eagles defense against Titans offense, film notes, scouting expectations, and then the same thing, just flip the units. Eagles offense against the Titans defense. You will, of course, find on Bleeding Green Nation Mike's notes on the success of the pass rush on the, uh, the wonderful play that was Cindy Jones. You will find my all 22 take about how the Eagles deployment of Dallas Goddard does bode very well for his and the Eagles future on offense. Of course, the bird brained mailbag coming up as well, as long as the, as long, along with the Titans all 22 film review before we see that game. Uh, it's going to be a fun week, Mike about to go three and one feeling pretty good. Let's go. We all we got, we all we need fly Eagles fly. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. 
And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team of Flyers. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. 